got a real good feeling. You're listening to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast with Crypto Jeb, bringing you the best and most updated news about cryptocurrency. Tune in every morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch this podcast live on our YouTube channel. Hey guys, what's going on? Jeb here. And in today's video, we are going to be talking about the Russian-Ukrainian potential looming conflict. As you probably already know, about 100,000 Russian troops have amassed on the Ukrainian border. And over the last three weeks that this has been a major news event in geopolitics, the, the uh, stock market has dropped about 14%. The cryptocurrency market has dropped quite a lot. There's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in traditional markets. Around the world, there are a lot of people that are very worried that there might be about to be a, a serious major conflict happening on the Ukrainian border. The Ukrainians are digging trenches and preparing battle lines in case the Russians come across that border. And the reason that we're talking about geopolitics on a cryptocurrency show is because we believe that this potential conflict actually has had major implications on not only the stock market, but through the stock market, also on the cryptocurrency markets. So today we're going to be talking about what's going on in Russia. We're going to be breaking down exactly what is happening. We're going to dispel the FUD, dispel any misinformation, and then talk to you about the implications that a war on that border might have for the United States of America's economy and also for the cryptocurrency economy. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, T.A. Tim. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing, I'm doing good. This show's got a lot of content, but luckily we got Jeb, who spits about 5,000 words a second. <laughs> so stay tuned. If you need to, go down to a lower speed on YouTube because it's going to be good. It just might come at you about a million miles an hour. Man, so. er everybody's trolling me in the chat. They said Jeb's dressed for a funeral. Bro, I just wanted to wear a blazer today. Why you got to go bully me like that, okay? You look like a priest, Dimitri said. I know I look like a priest. I'll take that one, but I am not going to a funeral today. I am not going to Bitcoin's funeral because Bitcoin is going to live, and it's going to rally. It's all going to be great, and I'm joined by Smay. How you doing, Smay? Oh, wow. That's great, great. Um, guys, I'm doing great. Um, I'm, my my blood pressure is a little high here today um, because just so you guys know, uh, we are using a complete new tech system that I implemented. So this is gonna the show might look a little different today, a little different than what you're used to um and i'm a little nervous hopefully it works but anyways i'm gonna take this opportunity to uh, uh you know what always makes me feel better what always saying makes the better. names of these beautiful members so wow. i'm gonna go ahead and shout out some people in the chat we have cameron christopher Mc christopher mcfarland bitcoinologist ricardo vinegas uh we have adam rourke uh crypto alchemist again matt c uh, uh, uh crypto alchemist again crypto ricardo vinegas again crypto sec guy oh I love you guys. You guys are the best. That's everybody. I love you guys. You guys well, are the best. You, you made me feel so much, much better. Look, my blood pressure, literally, you could hear it going down as I was saying those names. Uh, so, anyways. Can you hear blood pressure? You know, uh, that, would, that would be... Uh, Daredevil can. That, Daredevil can hear blood pressure? Dude, it's crazy. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, Kelly, we're also joined as you, as always, tuning in from New York. How you doing, my friend? Hey, man, you can be as me as much as you want, and uh, I'll be as you as much as I can. Uh, I'm doing excellent. Uh, the snow is finally starting to uh, melt a little bit here in New York. Uh, but as uh, back uh, by popular request, as I see in chat, anytime I don't have the money tree with me, I'm coming how to <laughs> snuggle up next to me. But uh, we got a lot of great things that we're going to go over today. Some short-term stuff that suggests we might be pulling back a little more. And some, uh, of course, longer-term metrics that are screaming, what the heck is going on? We should be going up. So uh, we're still 
still fighting that battle and we're going to dive right into it. So I'm happy to be here and thank everybody for coming and joining us daily. Uh, if you could just uh, depress that like button, if you will, help support mm. the channel. Very easy way to do that. Yeah. And uh, let's just dive right into it, brother. Press that like button. I like that. Guys, let's see if we can't get to 300 likes here in the next couple of minutes. I've already got 700 people watching. Thank you guys so very much. And actually, I am dressed for a funeral. You know what I'm going to the funeral of? I'm going to the funeral of all the bears that have failed because Bitcoin, I do think, is going to do pretty well in the next three to six months. I don't know that it's going to do very well in the next three to six days, though, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to start over on CoinGecko and take a look at the last 24 hours, down 3.4% on Bitcoin. Yeah, I already made my first mistake. Already made our first mistake? Go for it. Well, what we're going to see here is that Bitcoin is already down 3.4%, Ethereum down 5.8%, Binance Coin down 4.6%, Solana down 11%, ADA down 2.3%. These are some great prices to scoop up these cryptocurrencies for the long run, guys. Ethereum's down almost 50% from all-time high. So too is Bitcoin. Cardano down 65% from all-time high. Solana down, uh, I want to say about 60% from all-time high. XRP down, you know, 99% from all-time high. Not really. It's down about 80% from all-time high. Down 3% in the last 24 hours. Polkadot down 7%. Terra down 6%. A lot of great prices in here if you're looking to scoop some stuff up. We got Immutable X up 30% right now. Quant up 15%. We looked at Quant, I believe, yesterday. Talked about how it looks like it might be coming close to a bottom. And we talked about yesterday how if it does a few different things, then it would probably go into an uptrend. You can go back and watch yesterday's show. We did some Quant TA. Maker Dow is sitting, or excuse me, just Maker is sitting up 2.5%. But in general, the cryptocurrency markets are red right now. You can see the the vast majority, excuse me, the vast majority of cryptocurrencies are down down in the middle single digits and we have three cryptos down 10% Axie Infinity Synthetics Network Token and Convex Finance some of those down in the lower part of the top 100 down almost uh, 10% over 10% in fact and the rest of the cryptocurrency market right now really is having a pullback. And that's not something that I'm really scared of, but it is something that actually makes a lot of sense. And I'll show you why. We're going to start here on the Bitcoin chart as we jump into our Bitcoin TA. Here in about 10 to 15 minutes, we're going to jump into this Russia news. Just so you know, we're going to start with our Bitcoin. We're going to dive into that geopolitics here in a little bit, jump straight into politics, which we try to be careful about, but this is very important. So we're going to do that. Then we're going to tune into uh, checking in with the community around 1017. Then we're going to go to Ethereum around 1024. So stay tuned, guys. We've got about an hour-long show. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you enjoyed today's show. And by the way, hit that like button. I see you. I know you haven't done it yet. I know you're sitting there on your phone, sitting on the couch, and you're like, ah, I don't feel like doing it. Hit the like button. Come on. It doesn't cost. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I very much appreciate that. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Bitcoin here. Bitcoin rallied all the way to $65,000 April 15th, pulled back 57% in 97 days. You'll see why I'm reminding you of this in a second. Uh, November 10th, we hit an all-time high of just under $70,000. We pulled back 46% in 85 days. So the point I'm making here by showing you both of those previous corrections is that Bitcoin's correction back here in April, May, June, and July was actually not only larger, but actually lasted longer than the one that we're in right now. So a lot of people are looking at this pullback and thinking, oh, we're going into a bear market. Well, six, seven, eight months ago, people thought the exact same thing, and then we rallied to a new all-time high. So when I say something like, if Bitcoin can break and stay above $42,000 for 7 to 14 days, then we're we're going back to all-time high within three to six months. That's why I say that, because Bitcoin is not in a bear market right now. It is in a secondary downtrend, a very powerful secondary downtrend. But I would not say, and I would not even entertain the idea of Bitcoin being in a downtrend unless we drop below, excuse me, in a bear market, unless we drop below $30,000. Now, if we, stop drop, if we start dropping below 30 k 
you got an argument to be made there. But at the moment, that's not what it looks like is going to happen. But what it, but what does look like is happening is that Bitcoin is beneath a couple of very important trend lines. For example, we have $42,000, which represents a critical level of resistance that has been in play for the last you know year. This level was actually a previous all-time high figure as well. So 42K, just looking at the market right here, is very important. And it's also very important because it is a VPVR level of support. If we zoom out here on the four-hourly chart, you will see that there is a pretty large point of control, or excuse me, a little uh, pile of VPVR support right here, sitting right around $42,000. And it was also the bottom and the top from right back over here. 42K and this downtrend are two of the major levels that I'm looking at. Now, I'm doing a bit of a review on what we talked about yesterday, I realize, but for everyone who didn't tune in yesterday, I want them to know what's going on. What Bitcoin needs to do right now is it needs to break this downtrending level of resistance first, then it needs to break 42K, then I want to see it stay above 42K, so up at 43, 44, 45, 46 for 7 to 14 days, along with some other things, and then I would say, okay, we're in a confirmed uptrend and we're going to head back to all-time high. That has not happened, and quite frankly, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, because what it looks like is happening right now is that Bitcoin is in a shorter-term sending triangle pattern, which yesterday we started breaking to the downside out of. And Tim and I both said in yesterday's stream, yeah, look, Bitcoin could come up here and test this downtrend. Bitcoin could come up here and test 42K, but it doesn't even look like Bitcoin has the strength to even rally to $40,000 right now. It looks like it's probably going to fall over. And that's what happened here. Now, Tim and I did talk about potentially having another bounce on this level of support, then breaking to the downside. But the fact is, Bitcoin has broken to the downside out of this symmetrical triangle pattern. And what it's essentially done is it's reestablished this uptrend right here. You could argue that we're still in a symmetrical triangle pattern, just with a new uptrending level of support. Uh, Ascending triangle? Ascending triangle pattern, excuse me, I'm sorry. But this does get a little sloppy because we've broken to the downside so very much. What I'm really looking at here on the four-hourly chart for Bitcoin is that more or less, depending on exactly how you draw it, there's different ways you can draw it. We're basically in a rising trading channel with a couple of outliers here. You can see an outlier here and an outlier there. We're basically in a rising trading channel with a price target if we extrapolate down here at $31,000. I have said for a while that if we don't break above 42K, then we're probably going to go and backtest 30. And I do think that that's what's going to happen at this point. But that's not all there is to the story because there actually is, uh, there actually are several things that could be pointing us in the bull direction. Namely, looking here on the four-hourly chart, you can see that there is actually some bullish RSI divergence forming. You can see it with these lows right here. We have lower lows on the RSI on the four-hourly chart, and at least for the moment, we have higher lows here on the price action for that chart. Also, on top of that, if we look at some of our other technical indicators, Lux Algo being one of them, I believe Lux Algo may have flipped bearish by now. Yes, it has, but for a while there, it was in a it was in a buy signal. And in fact, it was in a strong buy signal. That did indicate that we had some bullishness in Bitcoin. The bulls were trying to recover the price. So I want to look at some other technicals here for a little bit. But Tim, before I do that, I want to ask you your opinion. Why do you think the bulls are able to show more strength right now than perhaps they've been able to more in the last month or so? Well, I think that the whole price went down because of anticipation of worse Fed news. Not that the Fed news was exactly what everyone wanted to hear, but I actually think the price drop from that lower 40 region down to the lower 30s was an initiation of an anticipation of of, of more hawkish news coming down from the Fed. We didn't get it, which is why I do believe believe while we will retest the lower 30s one more time, I actually think there's going to be a jump back up into the 40s, which is where a lot of these institutions were were making a lot of purchases. We had those $2 billion worth of Bitcoin purchased at 46, and then we had about 40,000 bought around 42. That's where the institutions thought it should have been. The Fed just brought us back down. And again, we wanted to see what happened there. We've seen it. It's not really that much 
it didn't really affect anything. So now I think it's time. Let's go down one more time, fake out some hands, lower that supply, and then go back up into the 40s, and we'll re we'll reevaluate what's happening up there. Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to kind of remind you guys of my stance on Bitcoin here, and then we're going to move on because I really do want to talk about this geopolitics here. If we look at some of our technical indicators, what we are seeing is that Bitcoin is in a major downtrend, but there are reasons to believe that that downtrend might be ending relatively soon. Again, this is a bit of a review, but I'm going to go over it briefly. There are reasons to believe on the three daily chart that we are about to that we uh, are uh, not too far away from confirmation of an uptrend. And by the way, if you're watching today's stream. Smash that like button. Let's get to 500 likes here in the next couple of minutes. If we were to break above the 14-day moving average here on three-daily chart RSI, break to the upside, that would be phenomenal. That would be confirmation of upwards momentum. If we were to have a bullish MACD cross, that would be phenomenal. It would be confirmation of upwards momentum. None of those things have happened right now. And right now, what I am seeing is that the major driver of Bitcoin's price, yes, is technicals, but it's actually sentiment. Because you see, there's something very important you need to understand. Price is always driven by supply and demand economics. If we look at the demand of Bitcoin, excuse me, if we look at the supply of Bitcoin, we are able to see about 84% of long-term holders, those are wallets that have been holding Bitcoin for more than 155 days. This is data compiled by Glassnode, a data analytics company for blockchain technology. Uh, about, 100, about 84% of wallets have been holding their Bitcoin for more than 155 days. That is record levels. We haven't seen that in a very long time. In fact, I think that might be all-time high levels, which means that something called the liquid supply, which is the other 16%, the Bitcoin that's been moved around more recently, is at a very, very low level. Basically, that tells us that the supply of Bitcoin is lower than it has been in a very long time. So then the question becomes, what's the demand? Well, the demand for Bitcoin right now is relatively low. The retail investor that is inside of cryptocurrency, let's just break down all of the categories of investor. The retail investor in the cryptocurrency market right now is very scared because they are either one, fudding because we've been in a downtrend for two and a half months, or two, they're looking for better buying opportunities and they haven't seen strong confirmation of a bottom. They haven't seen a three daily chart MACD cross. They haven't seen a three daily chart RSI rally. They haven't seen us break 42K. They haven't seen Lux Algo uh, flash bullish on the th on the daily chart, two daily chart and three daily chart. They've not seen confirmation. So the retail trader that is inside the cryptocurrency market that lives inside the cryptocurrency market is looking for lower lows. And a lot of them are looking for opportunity in the altcoin market, not even just so much the Bitcoin market, which is problematic because Bitcoin is the market that normally leads us out of these downtrends. Secondarily, let's look at the institutions and the uh, the major power players, the whales in the cryptocurrency market. Many of the whales are actually buying Bitcoin right now. We've seen $2 billion buys of Bitcoin. We've seen whales that have gone from uh, $0 to over a billion dollars in Bitcoin being held, dollar cost averaging in, buying $10 million every hour or two. We've seen a lot of whales buying, seen a lot of exchanges buying. We saw Binance bought a lot of Bitcoin. We have seen, I think it was 43,000 Bitcoin about a week and a half, two weeks ago. We've seen major corporations stepping into cryptocurrency that were not previously. So we have our retail trader that lives in crypto. That's you and me. We're the retail trader in cryptocurrency. We are a little bit risk off right now. I, at the moment, I'm not buying Bitcoin at these levels. It's not because I don't want to pick up Bitcoin at these levels. It's because I've already bought so much Bitcoin. I'm already holding so much Bitcoin. We have a super chat relating to that about portfolio management and uh, portfolio balancing. We'll get to in a second. The retail at the moment is holding off saying, okay, I'm just not so sure that the bottom is in yet. I'm just not so sure that we're not going to go into a bear market. I'm just going to kind of chill for a second. 
Then you have the traditional player, uh, excuse me, the the uh, the whales and the institutions in crypto. They are buying Bitcoin, but they're not buying so much Bitcoin that they're able to get the market moving because they're really the only people buying Bitcoin in droves right now. Then you have the retail in the traditional markets. The retail in the traditional markets do not care because they haven't heard the word Bitcoin in four months. And if they have heard the word Bitcoin, it's been in a negative context. It's been in a downtrend. And the retail in cryptocurrency is bad enough at buying the bottoms. The retail in the traditional markets in the rest of the world really just does not care right now. So we're not getting any bullishness from them. And then let's look at the traditional uh, institutions and power players and whales in that category. They aren't really buying Bitcoin right now either because of the, geopol uh, the geopolitical news that we're going to talk about in a little bit, because of uncertainty around interest rates, because of uncertainty around the economy, and because the stock market is dropping. What the, re what the institutions do, the brokerages do, is they invest for the retail. And what they do is they ask the retail trader, they say, hey, Bobby Johnson, you're uh, 57 years old. You've got a 401k. You've got a Roth IRA here. You want to invest with us. You've got this mutual fund. What kind of risk portfolio, what kind of risk profile do you want to take right now, Bobby? And essentially what Bobby says, he says, well, the stock market's crashing. There's about to be a war, maybe. Uh, Bitcoin is already down a lot. I want to go kind of conservative. I just want to hold on to my money because inflation is stealing it from me. And then what happens is you see the institutions and the brokerages go into a mode called risk off. What that means is that they, they let go of a lot of their risky assets. And many of those traditional companies and brokerages see Bitcoin as one of the most risky assets that they can invest in. So we're not seeing help from the retail side on the traditional or the cryptocurrency markets. We're not seeing help from the institutional side in the traditional markets so much, and we're not seeing that much help from the, from, the retail, from the institutional side in the crypto markets. So what does all this mean? This means that it's unlikely that we're just going to see a massive rally on Bitcoin unless you have Apple come out and buy Bitcoin or something. We're probably going to see a slow burn to the downside. I do think down to about $30,000. Then we're going to see a slow little movement to the upside, and it's going to take some time. I'll show you what that looks like, and then we're going to move on here to our traditional analysis. If we look at the bottom in 2018, I think it's going to look something like this. I don't, by the way, think that we need a 50% capitulation. I'm not saying we're going to see this November, December 2018-style drop, but what I am saying is I think we're going to see some Something like this, where Bitcoin bottoms out gradually over the course of a couple of months, sets higher lows, higher highs, and slowly starts to rally, slowly starts to rebuild confidence, and then slowly starts to push to the upside. Here is my long-term perspective. I have two of them. Number one, if we're able to break 42K because some news story comes out, some catalyst drives us to the upside, then we could hit Bitcoin's all-time high in three to six months. We could see that happening around summer. I think that this is the least likely of the two scenarios that I'm going to show you. What I think is more likely is that in key with much of this FUD, we're going to follow this downtrend, come down, test $30,000, then we're going to bounce down here for a little bit. I don't think we're going to go below 30 k though, because we already have such strong fundamentals. We're going to bounce down here for a little bit, and then we're gradually going to do a number like this, and it'll probably go faster than that. We'll probably see something a little bit like that, and then we'll see all-time high maybe towards the end of summer, maybe beginning of quarter three. That's Those are my two outlooks on Bitcoin, and I think the latter, where we go to $30,000, is what's more likely. Pretty much what we saw down here, we traded sideways at 30K for a little while, and then we went on to our uptrend. So, Tim, I want your brief opinion on this, and then we're going to jump straight into Kelly with Market Cypher and OnChain, and then we're going to go into our news because we have a lot to talk about on this Russian front, no pun intended. Yeah, so just your thoughts, my thoughts on Bitcoin as a whole. Yeah, what are your major scenarios for the next six months? Yeah, so I, 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 I think that there's so many unknowns in the next six months. I'm not even going to give a point. I think if nothing changes, if the Russian news, and we're going to discuss that here in a little bit, ends up kind of 
going away and not becoming massive the way it could be, I do think that we're going to be potentially hitting a new all-time high. Is that new all-time high 100,000? I kind of am swinging back in the boat of saying, before we start talking about 100,000, let's just worry about retouching 69. Let's look at 70 and 75. And I, I would not be surprised if we hit 70, 75 and maybe not have the same exact retracement we just had, but maybe have another 20 to 30% retracement back, not just shooting. We, we get to 70 and then shoot straight to 100. I agree. Uh, what I'm concerned about, though, let's work on getting back into the 40s for right now. When we get back into the 40s, let's work on getting back over that 53,000 mark. After that, if, if I know you said 42. To me, I'm more concerned about 53. If we hit 53, I'm pretty confident that we can get back to 69 and probably get to 70, maybe even 75 before we have to take a pause. But until we hit 53, I'm not looking that far forward right now to make an analysis uh, and make a prediction. Good deal. Yep. Well, I'm going to throw it to you, Kelly. I want to hear what you have to say about all this, but then I also want to get us moving on towards this Russian conflict news. So take it away, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. So first thing I'm going to share here is uh, I just want to reemphasize how important this, uh, what we've been highlighting the last couple of days here on Market Cipher with looking here on the weekly, looking at these VWAPs. And every time the VWAP crosses back above the zero line, we're getting these large uh, price movement upwards. And the reason why I want to show that is because we're still, we're still making headway towards that, but it's almost in complete opposition to the money flow coming down. So we're going to see truly, 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 if we are still in a bull trend, uh, if, if this uh, if this money flow coming down bounces above the zero line and comes back up and this VWAP still continues, uh, then I do think we're going to have some very positive price action. But that does not mean immediately. That means it will be in the coming days. And as I circled here, I can go down to the daily here, looking exactly, uh, basically, it's, it, we have a very somewhat different structure now with how this has played out, but I do still think we're going to get that double bottom retest, uh, essentially right in that, uh, I would say probably 32 K region, maybe as low as 30. Uh, but this is what I'm looking at. And interestingly, yesterday when we had that correction, it literally bounced and got rejected directly at this uh, fib coming on, on this retracement right at the two, three, six. So it's important when you're doing your, your targets and your entries and exits that you're looking at this because fibs, sometimes give you a pretty clear picture. Now, that being said, I do wanted to, I also wanted to highlight uh, the fact here, this is a, a an article, but it's, it's more about this uh, on-chain metric showing uh, essentially since the all-time high of 69,000, Glassnode shows 42,900 Bitcoin have left exchanges. And the, the, what I want to point out here, as you can see right here on this portion of the chart with this dark, the dark line is the Bitcoin price and the yellow line or the orange line here is uh, basically inflows and outflows to exchange. And in this, in this peak here, we had massive inflow to exchange basically show, this is essentially the major shakeout that we really needed. And the really interesting thing here is that the, although the price has gone up and come back, we've, we've still had outflows outweighing the inflows, meaning the, the large majority of the sentiment with the people that are currently holding uh, Bitcoin are still saying that they're bullish on this price action. And at some point, this levy is going to break and go the opposite direction. I don't think it's going to happen just yet, much like you just pointed out in the TA. I think we still have a few more days. Uh, and the last thing I'll show, this is a, another take on the fear and greed. Uh, it's a social sentiment sort of metric that sentiment uses with positive, negative comments about Bitcoin across social media platforms. And you can see here with this metric, uh, we every time we're getting these, these large 
upticks in uh, positivity, we're getting large pullbacks. And although we are, we have all these underlying long-term more medium to macro bullish uh, metrics that are showing that at some point that levy is going to break bullish. This is still showing right now in this immediate short term right now, we're getting uh, a little overweighted in the positive sentiment just from the small price action we got. And I, I think this is going to be another thing in confluence with having another one of the small retests back. So that that's what I'm currently seeing. And back to you, Jeb. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the very important thing for people to remember is that when the on-chain tells us that we're about to go into a rally, or excuse me, that we are looking like we're oversold and that we need to see some kind of movement to the upside, that doesn't mean that's going to happen right now. That doesn't mean that's going to happen tomorrow. That doesn't mean it's going to happen yesterday. It means that it is going to happen, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen now. So remember one thing very, very clearly, um, and I'll actually show you this on my chart. Uh, I believe I can bring up the 400 moving average on the monthly chart, and this might do it. No, it's not going to be there. Let me see. The three daily chart, I think, is what I'm looking for 400 on daily 400 on daily let's look at 400 on daily so the 400 moving average exponential moving average that is on the daily chart is a moving average that someone pointed out to me a little bit ago and i think it is, does a very good job of showing us roughly what the underlying intrinsic value of bitcoin is now what is underlying intrinsic value underlying intrinsic value is more or less the value that bitcoin should be trading at and if it's above that it's over it's overbought and probably um, sitting at those levels based on hype and if it's below the underlying intrinsic value it's probably below where it really should be and is probably down there based on FUD. That's what we talk about when we mean underlying intrinsic value. Now, in a, in a company, you can look at something called the P.E. ratio, the profit earning ratio and everything, and you can say, OK, well, this company is uh, its market capitalization is 20 times its annual revenue. Uh, so that means that it's oversold or it's overbought. And you can look at these ratios and get an idea of what the underlying intrinsic value of a company is, because the end goal of a company is to make money. You know, that's not well, it's not the end goal, but that's the easiest thing that you can measure the success of a company by. I think a, a company's goal should be to go and improve people's quality of life. And then through doing that, they make money that allows them to do that. So anyway, I can go on all day about the issues that I have with the Western entrepreneurial model, or excuse me, not entrepreneurial model, uh, business model. But the point is, in the stock market, you have these fundamentals, these intrinsics that give you an idea if you're overbought or oversold. In crypto, it's a little bit harder. But in crypto, we do have things like hash rate. We do have things like user wallets. We do have things like um, long-term holding. We do have things like uh, inflows, outflows on exchange. We do have things like you know our technical analysis, the rest of on-chain, fundamentals, adoption, new wallets, new participant, how many people have bought Bitcoin, uh, market penetration, market dominance, all of these things help us to have an idea of what Bitcoin is worth. And I have found that moving averages such as the 400 daily EMA give us a pretty solid idea of what the fundamental underlying intrinsic value of Bitcoin is. Right now, we are below that line. It would be sitting up here right around $43,000. And I frankly think that Bitcoin probably is actually worth between forty-three dollars to $50,000. If Bitcoin goes to $100,000, it's getting there based off of hype. I just want to say that because I don't want to tell you guys, okay, we're going to go to $100,000 and Bitcoin really is worth $100,000 just yet. When it goes to $100,000, one, it's going to go there because we're going to have two or three times the number of market participants that we currently have. And two, it is going to go there based off of hype, and we will see a correction. The point I'm making here is that Bitcoin is getting overextended to the downside. And when Kelly talks about on-chain, all of the on-chain right now is saying that we're overextended to the downside. We've shown you over 100 different on-chain metrics, and basically every single one of them says exactly that. So the point I want to make here is that whenever Bitcoin is at these low levels, it doesn't mean that tomorrow we're going to have a rally. In fact, it doesn't mean this month or even this quarter we're going to have a rally, but it does mean a rally is coming. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we do know it's going to happen. 
happen. For example, I can't tell you if a recession is going to happen this year in the stock market, but I can tell you with absolute certainty or almost as close to absolute certainty as you can get that there will be a recession this decade. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. I can't tell you how it's going to happen, but I can tell you that it's going to happen because it is a fact of markets. The fact of the market in Bitcoin is that the fundamentals are growing. And remember, never forget this, especially in downtrends. The price is downstream of the fundamentals. The fundamentals have grown stronger than ever before. The only reason we're down right now is because of FUD in the traditional markets, because we needed a correction from the levels that we saw, and because people are scared. It's not because of the fundamentals. The fundamentals are stronger than they were even on November 10th when we hit $69,000, even on April 14th when we hit $65,000. Both of those being all-time high, the fundamentals are stronger now than they ever were. Just keep that in mind. With that said, there are fundamental news stories that are concerning to people in the cryptocurrency markets and in the stock markets that are leading people to not want to invest as much as they otherwise would. Some of those have to do with old mother Russia. So Kelly, take it away, my friend. Absolutely. So one of the major things we need to consider here is unfortunately, or maybe it's fortunate, we maybe, you know, diamonds are made uh, from, you know, immense amount of pressure over a long period of time. And let's face it, we've had a lot of uh, economic pressure and uncertainty since around March 2020. Uh, and that being said, this has precipitated an ongoing uh, and basically the, the dominoes have fallen in a number of different ways with how it's affected the economy, how it's affected the workforce. And now, you know, just as just as things are getting a little more comfortable on that front and, the, and that we might see some sort of end in sight. Now we're having this uh, conflict that's starting to erupt or come to some sort of noticeable geopolitical head on the news stages. And that's uh, this conflict going on on the Russian Ukrainian border. Uh, now, one of the reasons why this is such a big impact is because it's the market is already so fragile right now. We're fighting for any chance to have some sort of hope and, and uh, positive confidence about uh, not only investing, but, uh, you know, basically protecting our livelihoods and our assets. And, and unfortunately, Bitcoin is still and crypto is still lumped in with this idea of risk on risk off and unnecessarily so. Uh, but one of the things here and this is even spoken about in this article, uh, you know, it's exactly what I just mentioned. It's not specifically that this uh, conflict is starting to reach the geopolitical stage and news media, but it's it's in confluence with everything already not having a super strong fundamental strength structure and confidence built. If, if the market was super strong uh, and, very, you know, everybody was very uh, bullish and, and confidence was strong, sentiment was strong, investment wasn't being, you know, risk on, risk off. You know, you're not worried about those sorts of things. I don't think this would have that big of an impact. But Tim also brought this up earlier when we were talking about this, uh, is that uh, we're still very correlated, unfortunately, with, with traditional markets. But as uh, conflicts become become more uh, erupt uh, around the globe during times of war. Gold perform tends to perform very well, while uh, riskier assets or other commodities and stuff like that may suffer uh, as compared to gold because of this idea of risk on risk off. And now, uh, we'll, we'll I'll throw this to Tim in a second, but uh, after I wrap up the rest of these news stories. But the fact that the matter is, at some point, uh, crypto as a whole is going to decouple from the traditional markets, and before that happens, you know. There's speculation. Will will Bitcoin itself also decouple from 
the rest of the the altcoin market because it's a, a safer bet in terms of being the digital gold. Uh, to follow this story up, there's also this, uh, you know, we've had this back and forth uh, separate from the geopolitical drama with Ukraine and Russia, but the, you know, this, whether or not Russia was going to ban Bitcoin, whether they're going to regulate it. And what I actually want to point out with this is that, you know, not only is the, the ministry t- saying that the uh, crypto regulation compromise is going to come within the month, but also uh, right here, Vladimir Putin, uh, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, is also backing his government's proposal to promote Bitcoin mining. So and also, you know, strengthen re- regulatory measures. And the, what I want to point out there is we need somebody in our lead of government, not Janet Yellen, not Gary Gensler, not any of these, uh, you know, basically subordinates. We need the the major leaders of the not only the parties, but the 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 the, the government itself, the president to come out and take an honest stance on where we're going so people have regulatory clarity because that will also tie back into when we have times of conflict like this where people already have an understanding of what asset is or isn't so we can start getting away from that risk on risk off uh, sort of deal and the the very final thing i'll say is it's not just a russia ukrainian conflict but we also had a news story come out yesterday uh basically showing the jobs report and showing that it actually fell a little short and we had over three hundred thousand jobs in january January sort of pulled out of the labor market. And so that sort of just piled on with this uh, news about Russia and Ukraine. So tying all these things together, I'm very curious. uh, uh, I'll jump in with Tim first. What your thoughts are about that whole notion about the the gold, uh, you know, correlation with gold and risk on risk off and, and also with not only Bitcoin to traditional, but Bitcoin to altcoin markets? Well, as I said earlier, when I was talking about the price, there's a lot of unknown factors. And that's the that's really what this boils down to is this is not a fact. This is an opinion that I read about. But the, the whole thing is you have to be aware of when other people voice their opinions, because the market doesn't move off of one person. It moves off of a, a group. And, and this is something that while Bitcoin has never been utilized yet as gold. It is constantly being referred to as the next gold, the digital gold. Uh, and, and so there is a question of when. When is Bitcoin going to be seen as different from the rest of altcoins? When is Bitcoin going to be seen as something that you can hedge against inflation and you can invest in to protect yourself? Uh, and so the the theory, that thought that has been put placed by others, again, this wasn't my thought, I'm just regurgitating, is that potentially could this be one of the leading factors in the future of splitting Bitcoin and altcoins because altcoins have a lot of technology, they have a lot of blockchain use cases, um, but they're more like equities. The, the way they work is more like equities. And traditionally, in times of war, equities go down about 15%. However, gold usually goes up. Bitcoin up to this point has been utilized mostly as an equity, but could this be the starting change to the, the way people view Bitcoin? Could we see institutions and, and whales who potentially in this last year, who only got 4% gain in gold, start moving their frustrations and putting that money into Bitcoin, utilizing it as digital gold, it might not happen overnight, but this could be a stepping stone to that future concept. Yeah, and I think it's very important that we understand that Bitcoin is very young. Bitcoin was mined first on January 3rd, 2009. It's a teenager right now. It's going through growth pains. You know, it's a little moody, kind of getting a little bit rebellious. That's what Bitcoin is doing. It just so happens that it, that the analogy works very well. And I do think in the future, a lot of people are going to look to Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. And I do think a lot of people in the future are going to look to Bitcoin. And uh, whenever they're scared of the traditional markets, they are going to move here and uh, park their money here in the same way they do with gold. But I think the important thing that we have to remember is that Bitcoin is still a very young asset. And a lot of people 
people still see it as very risky. The perception of the public is that Bitcoin is remarkably risky and that gold is remarkably safe. So even though they have a very similar functionality because of their age, the public views them differently. So Smay, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Do you think that the public is going to see Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation and a place that they want to park their money during times of conflict? Or are they going to see Bitcoin as a very risky asset to be in and they would much prefer to hold on to their real estate or their stocks and their cash during times of uncertainty? Um, I mean, I we are just not even, I don't even think we're there yet. Like, I was telling Tim when we were talking about this morning, we went to the gym. Um, honestly, I just... There's not enough people that see Bitcoin in that in that light that we as the enthusiasts hold it in, right? It's still uh, to a lot of people just a very volatile asset that can potentially make you a lot of money if you get in in the right time, and, and that's about it. It's like it's not seen as this, you know, uh, hedge against inflation or anything like anything that we know it actually is, you know, uh, just because of the volatility and that it doesn't really work in a traditional market sense. Uh, like the it's not as safe. There's not a lot of regulatory clarity, all that stuff. So ultimately, in this, especially if we're looking. If we're looking at a, a conflict very soon here with with what we're talking about with Russia and stuff like that, no, I, I really don't think that people are going to turn to Bitcoin right now, and that's why I think it's going to what. I, my whole take on this is that I don't think this is going to turn into something extremely bearish, right? I don't think this is going to be something where people are dumping all their Bitcoin. But what I see this as is just a, uh, and I'm not touching my mic, I promise. Uh, I see this as an opportunity uh, that they're just going to continue to wait. Right. People are going to continue to wait. Institutions are going to continue to wait to put their money in. They're going to keep it on the sideline until it's a little bit safer time to invest in their minds. Um, so I think this just delays what we've already kind of seen uh, as they're waiting for this uh, regulatory clarity and all this stuff. I think this just pushes that even further. And now they're not just waiting for regulatory clarity. They're waiting for whatever happens with Russia. And that's going to determine what they do with investing in Bitcoin or not. Yep. So let me give you a 30,000 per foot perspective on what's going on with Russia. And then I'm I'm going to talk about how I think this is going to help the cryptocurrency market to mature. Essentially, what's going on is that Russia for a very long time has demanded that NATO not expand towards border states of Russia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Ukraine being some of those examples. But NATO has expanded to other nations in Eastern Europe. I believe Romania is a good example. Some other nations that you might correct me on that if I'm wrong, but there's some other nations in Eastern Europe that NATO has brought into its circle of uh, into the into the uh, the into the alliance. And the reason that that's so important is because there's a clause in NATO, the North American uh, treaty organization, uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, excuse me, there's a clause in NATO that an attack on one is an attack on all. So if you attack France, the United States joins that war. If you attack Britain, France joins that war. If you attack Germany, then America joins that war. So if Ukraine were to join NATO, then Russia would have no way of ever exercising their sphere of influence over Ukraine without literally starting World War III because the entirety of NATO would declare war on Russia. So the reason that that's so important is because Russia wants to expand. They are an expansionist society and they have been for a very long time. You can see that through the Soviet Union. In fact, even before the, the, the First World War, the Soviet, uh, excuse me, the Tsarist Russia, the empire, the, the Russian empire controlled much of Eastern Europe. They controlled modern day Ukraine. They controlled, you know, Belarus and Latvia and some of these other nations. They had control over the, uh, over the, uh, the, the, the Baltics. And the fact is they still want to have that. They had control over, uh, over Kazakhstan as well. The Russian empire used to be a lot larger than the Russian Federation is right now. 
And Putin is a dictator that came into play, not a, I'll call him a president because that's the official term. He is a president that came into power uh, in the early 2000s and he wants to see the rest, uh, he wants to see Russia restored to its former glory. So he wants to see things like Ukraine and uh, Azerbaijan and the, and the nation of Georgia and uh, Latvia and, Bo and Belarus and all these different nations be in his sphere of influence and he can control them. But NATO is a threat to that. And he also doesn't want NATO on their border because just like we saw with the Bay of Pit, or excuse me, the Cuban Missile Crisis back in the 60s, he doesn't want uh, uh, missile put close to his border because he wants to make sure he's positioned well. There's a lot of geopolitics going on from two ideologically antipodal uh, uh, societies, and that leads to tension. That always has between Russia and the West, and it has for the last hundred years or so, ever since the, you know, uh, the, 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 up, the revolution. So here's the point. NATO said that we will make no guarantees that we will not bring Ukraine into NATO. That's pretty much what NATO has come out and said. We will make no promises, and Russia is uh, Putin is demanding that NATO makes that promise that Ukraine is never to join NATO. They won't do that. So that's a lot of where this conflict is coming from. This has been ongoing for several years. Now what Putin is doing is he put about 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border, positioning, looking like he's going to invade, but he's probably not going to, to be honest with you. What just happened yesterday is Biden came out and uh, ordered the, uh, the Pentagon to send 8,500 troops over towards uh, NATO allies. There's some misinformation going around in the, in, in, the, in the news media right now. They are not sending 8,500 troops to Ukraine. Those mm -hmm. troops are going to, I believe it's Romania, yeah. uh, Poland, and Germany. There are different bases over there. there are, a lot of them are being pull, pulled out of a base in North Carolina. So we're bolstering our, uh, our garrison in Europe, in, in the European theater, for, basically, is what's going on. That is just a move to kind of position and show Putin, hey, we're not playing around here. We're going to defend ourselves if you attack us. Here's my take. Russia's not not going to invade because if they do, multiple things are going to happen. Number one, they're going to get locked out of SWIFT more than likely, which is the international banking system. That would collapse their entire economy. Russia's economy is actually growing very quickly right now. They've invested $100 billion in natural gas refining in Siberia. They've invested billions of dollars in uh, new ice-breaking natural gas shipping uh, ship, uh, 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 container ships that are able to break through ice and go around the Bering Strait and go and deliver natural gas to, to uh, East Asia. They've, do they've, they've done so much with their natural gas industry. And by the way, their biggest consumer of their natural gas, which is one of their largest exporters, is Europe. So if there was a war to break out in the European theater, then that would be a very, very bad thing for the Russian economy. Russia would take a much larger hit than NATO would. But what Russia's doing right now is saying, okay, we're going to position as if a war is going to break out. And then when we position like that, then what's going to happen is that that's going to scare the markets in America. It's going to scare the markets in Britain. It's going to cause a market drop. And if we look at my chart, we can see that that's exactly what happened. The SPY is down significantly over the course of time that this news has been coming around. January 4th, the, S &P the SPY, S&P 500 ETF trust over on CBOE BZX was up at 480 points, dropped down to 420. Nice. It pulled back 60 points, 12% in 21 days, and is still currently down 6% on open today at 451 points. So what's the point? The point is Russia wants to position itself in a way to get the best terms and to try and force NATO into making a promise that Ukraine will never join NATO. That's what Russia is trying to do here. And it has absolutely nothing to do with cryptocurrency. But the impact that it's having on cryptocurrency is that there is a looming threat of conflict in Eastern Europe, which theoretically could in a very, very bad situation, escalate into something extremely dangerous for the world. And that's scaring the market. So here's how this affects Bitcoin. Number one, uncertainty in traditional markets overflows into cryptocurrency markets. We've always seen that during March of 2020, uh, when the when the crypto when the uh, stock market drops substantially as a result of the, <laughs> the news of virus, the same thing happened on Bitcoin. Whenever we see a major drop on 
the traditional markets, we end up seeing the same thing happen in cryptocurrency. So that's number one, how this is affecting this. Number two, the way that this will affect this in the long run is that if there is a conflict, this will actually help Bitcoin to mature. And I'll explain exactly how, and then I want to hear Tim's final thoughts on this. The way that I think that this is going to actually help Bitcoin as an ecosystem mature is that Bitcoin had never been through uh, a global <laughs> flu, as we saw in 2020, in 2020 and 2021. Never happened. In the history of Bitcoin, we had never seen a global flu, <laughs> if you will. Uh, and now we've seen what Bitcoin does during that. It rallies 700%. So Bitcoin can live through that. We've never seen at this point what happens when a major uh, conflict breaks out somewhere in the world. If that does occur, it's going to be terrible, and we're going to be praying for them every single day for it to cease and for nobody to get hurt. We do not want that to happen whatsoever. We want peace, and we're very thankful for the peace that we have in the world right now. There's still conflict, but we're thankful for the peace that we do have. We want that to stay. But if it does happen, here's what's going to happen. It's going to prove to the retail that, okay, Bitcoin not only can survive a global flu, it can also survive conflict. And in fact, people are going to realize, wait a second, okay, the stock market's crashing, but Bitcoin actually performed pretty well during this time. So one, it's having an impact on it because there's fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the market. That's trickling over into the sentiment on Bitcoin. And two, it is going to help Bitcoin to mature because it's going to allow people to see how Bitcoin responds to these times. Tim. Yes. Do you think Russia is actually going to do it? No, I do not. And and this is ultimately what I think people need to hear because everything that Jeb just said was phenomenal. But I guarantee there are a lot of people sitting here saying, at the end of the day, I just want to know, is Bitcoin going to go up or is it going to go down? Is it going to go sideways? Is it going to go backwards? Is it going to go, yep. you know, <laughs> there are about 543 different options of Bitcoin price uh, based off of what we are going to see here over the next couple of weeks. But what I want people to know is... No matter what happens, there is still positive price action coming for Bitcoin, because even if and again, I, I didn't want anyone to think earlier that that was necessarily my take that this is going to lead to Bitcoin becoming gold. But the fact that that's a discussion out there needs to be represented that, hey, there are some people with that belief. So at best case scenario, probably not likely best case scenario, Bitcoin benefits from the whole thing because the shift begins to become all right, is Bitcoin actually a hedge against inflation and is being seen as a a stable asset more like gold. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, it's seen as uh, just like everything else. And uh, occasionally when, when we see a war, there's usually about a 15% drop. But here's what happens. It's a very short drop. At lo uh, the longest, you're going to see that drop be down for about a month before it bounces right back up to where it was beforehand. That's if we actually see bullets fired in this, in this whole encounter. Even if that happens and there's a drop, it will rally right back. And usually we end up seeing the markets outperform and lead into a rally. So no matter what happens, I'm definitely, definitely, definitely aware if you are in a trade, if you're in a long right now, you are sitting here watching every second because you're like, I do not want to be liquidated. This is a great place to get good place to get into a trade. I don't want the price to go down anymore. Why do we keep having things come in and influence Bitcoin to the downside? But if you're just a hodler, if you're just a DCA or this could be, there's really that not that many options that are going to lead to too much bearish action here. Even if there's short-term bearish action, we have seen historical precedents for actual upside in the price of these things. It just might take a small dip in the beginning. Expect it to be somewhere in the middle. That's ultimately where I am. I don't think that there's actually going to be any conflict. I really think, now yeah. I'm getting into the Putin stuff, I really think Putin just doing all of this to scare He's Western bluffing. society. And he knows that simply putting 130,000 military, 130,000 uh, militia on that uh, 
border is causing the West to freak out and to pause. And when you pause and you freak out, your economy starts to trickle a little bit and it starts to have some, some negative aspects. That is simply all it is. Even if you read the analysis being done by Ukrainians and Europeans, it's really easy to read American news and hear what Biden's thinking and hear what the White House is thinking. But when you read what the analysts in Europe are saying, they are saying this is a bluff. He is just trying to scare us and he's trying to play chess with us. And unfortunately, there's a lot of politicians who only want to play checkers. <laughs> I like that. That's very, very accurate. And in fact, instead of playing checkers, basically what they're doing is they're like a toddler and they're like, hey, look, there's a piece. That's what the politicians do most of their day. They're, I wish they knew how to play chess. They, they, they don't. I really wish we had some good politicians, but we don't. That's okay. Term limits would be a great idea. But anyway, here's the deal. I don't think Russia's going to invade. If they do, then it's going to suck. It really is. But I don't think it would escalate any farther. I don't think that NATO would join in. I think that Russia would probably move in and then move out. They would move in, uh, replace the government, and move out. And it would be a very, very bad thing. But at the end of the day, the thing I want to point out here with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is that Everything that happens to Bitcoin is actually a good thing in the long run. Not a good thing, I should say. It is a positive development for the maturity of Bitcoin. It helps Bitcoin to mature. That's a better way to say it. There is no way, shape, or form that any kind of conflict in Ukraine is a good thing. It's a very terrible thing. But it will help Bitcoin to mature. Going through hardship helps you to mature. And if Bitcoin sees, and if more importantly the market sees how Bitcoin reacts to an event like this, then that is going to help uh, Bitcoin to mature and for people's uh, perspective of Bitcoin to mature. So guys, let's go ahead and shout out uh, one of our sponsors. His name is Lorenzo, and he is our very own cryptocurrency CPA. We're so very thankful for Lorenzo, and we actually have a deep personal relationship with him. He was with us down at the North American Bitcoin Conference over the last couple of weeks. Got to spend a lot of time with him. He's a great guy. He's got a lot of experience working with crypto taxes. And by the way, guys, tax season is approaching. In fact, we're in tax season right now. So if you're trying to handle your cryptocurrency taxes, then you need a good CPA. I'm not a CPA. I am not a tax professional. The tax code is this high, not off the table, off the floor. I can't tell you everything about taxes. I'm legally not allowed to. But who can is our good friend Lorenzo. So make sure you sign up or excuse me, check out his website down below, Lorenzo Tax, so that you can go ahead and make sure that you are paying the least amount in tax legally. And by the way, there's also another kind of civic duty here. If the government realizes, hey, people aren't trying to, you know, uh, uh, not pay taxes. If people, if the government realizes, hey, people are really making a concerted effort to really report their taxes correctly, then the government's going to go easier on cryptocurrency because they're going to say, okay, look, these people are actually trying to pay their taxes and uh, they are actually trying to do it right. And we're not having to audit them every five minutes. And the government will probably be more regulatorily uh, disposed to helping Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to grow. So make sure you check out Lorenzo. He's a great tax professional. In fact, he is the one that I personally use. We're not just promoting him and I don't use him. He is the tax professional that I use for my crypto taxes. So make sure to check him out. The link in the description box down below. What we're going to do now is we're going to spend about five minutes reading through some super chats and we're yeah. going to jump into Ethereum. Let's well, take it away. I want to start even this. I want, I want people to know even this, you know, this is a sponsor of the channel. This is an ad. However, the reason we selected this ad, the reason we chose let's run this is because of just what I see in chat. A lot of people saying, yeah, my taxes are looking scary. I don't even know what's going to happen there. Yeah, uh, This is something, just so you guys know, I, personally, I, I'm the one who's, I'm constantly asking, all right, listen, I'm making trades. Uh, you know, I, I both huddle and trade. What do I need to do with taxes? What am I need to, what do I need to do to protect myself from being blindsided by the IRS that comes down and, and audits me? And so when I found, when we found this and we got to meet Lorenzo, phenomenal guy. At the end of the day, I think he has a, it's a free consultation or whatever, right? So yes, they have a free 15-minute consultation. It doesn't, I'm going to cost you a dollar. If you're worried about your taxes, give him a call. See if you like him. If you don't, yeah. no money. And by the way, we've had like 
over a hundred of our viewers have a consultation with them. A lot of them are his clients now, and they're really enjoying it. We've heard back from a lot of them. We might even have a uh, Massey just said, "I'm a Lorenzo client." Yeah, Boom sauce. It, Massey's a Lorenzo client. It's great. It's he is great. a great CPA. He really is. So yeah, that was the first thing. It wasn't a super chat, but I wanted to you know bring up chat as best I can. I want to be able to interact with chat, even if it's not a super chat. But I do want to. I do want to. You know, they this, with spending money. I want to give honor to these guys who to spend money. Uh, Jacob Padley said, "Hey guys, just wondering how you think ETH 2.0 will impact." Matic. Sunday swap suggests even after the upgrade, ETH2 will not be able to transact at scale. Matic is still going to be a protocol that's going to be very useful after ETH 2.0 because Ethereum 2.0 is essentially trying to take a Model T and turn it into a Mustang, and you're still working with the same frame. So Ethereum 2.0 is going to update Ethereum in a lot of ways, but Ethereum is kind of held together with duct tape and bubble gum in some areas just because it was such a, it, it was the first of its kind. That's why I love Cardano so much because Cardano learned from Ethereum and built things very, very slowly and meticulously, whereas Ethereum built things well, but not well enough that it can handle, you know, 500 million users and uh, $20 trillion of total value locked. It's just not built to do that. And Ethereum 2.0 is going to help a lot, but it's not going to solve all the problems. Matic, however, does help to solve a lot of those by taking a lot of transactions off chain. So I think Matic is always going to have its um, it's going it's going to have its use case. It's a little bit like how you know IBM used to be the leader in personal computing, or at least it was trying to be. It failed in that. Apple beat it, and so did Microsoft. But what they ended up doing is they pivoted their business. So I think what Matic is going to do is something similar. They're going to pivot their business. Uh, they're going to pivot the use case of Matic in another direction. And I'm not a blockchain dev. I actually don't hold any. I don't think I hold any Matic, so I'm not an expert in that area. But I can tell you that it's going to be okay. And uh, if I could add also, just and also based on the video you did yesterday, and for anybody who's wondering, exactly as you just said about Ethereum uh, with Cardano, the other benefit Cardano has is that the, the one of the main developers and the 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 leader of that ship, you know, Charles Hoskinson, also was one of the co-founders. He co-founded, of Ethereum. yeah. So so he also had a very clear understanding of some of the ways that he would do it different or how he how it could be done better from the start, and so you know. I, Right on. Yeah, and the, Cardano one, all the way, baby. One final thing I'll mention on that is that people people mock Cardano because it develops slowly. And yeah, it does. It takes time to develop Cardano. But you know how much of the developmental energy in Ethereum is going into fixing it right now? Yet, what if Ethereum was built a, a year slower, but it was built the right way and it was proof of stake originally? And, and I'm not knocking Ethereum. Proof of stake didn't exist when Ethereum was first created. But... How much more would Ethereum be able to do right now if most of its development was going towards improving the protocol rather than fixing parts of it that should have already been in place? Mm. That's why I love Cardano, because it's got a solid foundation. Cardano, uh, excuse me, Ethereum's got a solid foundation too, but it's nowhere near as strong as Cardano's in my opinion. Mm. All right, we'll keep moving on. We got one from, let's see, out of order. Chase Christie said, Jeb, how much percent of fiat do you like to have? I like to have... Um, so in my entire net worth, I prefer to have, you know, about less than 50% of my net worth in, in fiat, but around 40 to 50% of my net worth in fiat. And the reason for that is because I like to be very liquid. If I see an investment opportunity, like for example, I want to get into real estate in the next year or two, not yet, but in the next year or two, I want to get into real estate and flip houses. I want to get into uh, rental properties. I want to buy some apartment complexes. And to do that, you need fiat currency because if you have mm-hmm. money in Bitcoin, then you don't really want to touch that cryptocurrency because it might be at a loss. It might be down a little bit. It might not be at $65,000. It might be at $37,000, which a lot of us can relate to right now. So I prefer to keep a 
a good bit of it in fiat, but mainly so that I'm able to make investments and mainly so I feel more secure so that I don't have to withdraw from my cryptocurrency. If I ever get myself into a position where I'm like, you know, I really, really wish I had more fiat and less crypto, then that means I invested too much and I'm moving in the direction of investing more than I'm willing to lose. Now, that doesn't mean you have invested more than you're willing to lose, but if you're starting to think, man, I really wish I had more cash on hand right now, then you've invested too much and you need to tone back on your investments or you need to sell some uh, to make sure that you're able to um, have money to cover your bills and make investments uh, like that. And that also doesn't even come in, that doesn't even account for the fact that you need a US dollar portfolio or a stablecoin portfolio so that you're able to make opportunities in cryptocurrency markets happen. So there's a lot to that. Uh, Intermediate Handyman said, do you still use Heikinashi now that you have found Lux Algo? I haven't used Heikinashi in a while, and the reason I haven't is because, as you just said with Lux Algo, I found other indicators that help me to figure out what the trend is. Heikinashi yeah. Candlesticks combined with MACD is a very powerful strategy. If you don't have Lux Algo, I do have Lux Algo, so I use it. By the way, if you don't have Lux Algo, you are missing out. Like, you really need to get Lux Algo. The link's in the description box down below. Use coupon code JEB, J-E-B-B, for 20% off. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. We got one from Tom Wilkes saying, as a hodler, Bitcoin price only affects me if slash when I sell. Guess what? I'm not selling. Exactly, Tom Wilkes. I'm so, not selling either. Yeah. Uh, Il Lupo said, hey, Jeb, me and my brother-in-law are huge fans. Can you give a Aww. shout out to my brother-in-law, Big John the Don? Also, keep up the great work. I will give your brother and brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. I will yes. give your brother-in-law, Big John the Don, a shout-out because that's a dope name. Big John the Don. Come Big on. John the Don. That's a great name. Shout-out to Big John the Don. That's just fun to say. Big John the Don. Yeah, there you we, go. We have a donation. I don't see a chat here, so Micah, man, if you had something you wanted to say, make sure you at me uh, because I don't see a message here. But thank you for the donation. Uh, another do- Speaking of donations, Christopher McFarland, a member for five months now as a Jedi Knight, he just wanted to shout-out, I guess, because we don't have a message here. So, Christopher, if you wanted to say something, let us know. Shout-out to you, Christopher. Shout-out to Christopher. Christopher. Cryptoverse. Very good point. Hey, guys, wondering if any CPA recommendations for us Canadians. I personally don't know of yeah, any that's... Canadian CPAs. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you got a 15-minute consultation with Lorenzo, even if you're in Canada. I don't know how much he's going to be able to help you with Canadian tax law, but he might be able – he might have a contact yeah. in Canada. He lives he's, – he's based out of the Northeast, so he might – Lorenzo might actually have a contact for you, so I, you can still sign up for a 15-minute consultation with him, and he might be able to hook you up. See, I think that that is all of the chats that I cool. see right now. Yep. Awesome. Well, guys, we're going to take a quick peek at Ethereum. We're not going to spend too long on here because Ethereum is looking you know, the same as it has for the last two weeks. But what Ethereum is doing right now is it's actually rejecting from that 400 daily exponential moving average. We fell below it. And that 400 uh, DEMA is sitting right at $2,800. So there's convergence of resistance sitting at $2,800 based on support that we found in, in at the end of September and uh, the beginning of June over here at $2,800. And we also have the 400 DEMA sitting right here. So Ethereum, just like Bitcoin, is having a hard time rallying, and it is just not really managing to keep up to the uh, keep up this rally. So what we're seeing on ETH right now is that it is having just like Bitcoin, a bear flag form. This bear flag would end up pushing Ethereum all the way down here to $1,800 or about $1,900. It's low that we set uh, last year. Uh, the local low was around $1,750. So this bear flag is pointing down there. And I do think that Ethereum is looking like it's in a very similar position right now that Bitcoin is in. If Ethereum is able to break $2,800, if it's able to break this downtrending level of resistance, if it's able to have things happen on the three daily chart, like a bullish MACD cross, like us crossing uh, the 14-day exponential moving average. Then, remember, we want to do if-then statements on our predictions, not just absolutely it's going to $5,000. No, mm-hmm. if-then statements is how we do our predictions. 
if all of those things occur, then the bullish MACD divergence that we see on weekly chart, the bullish RSI divergence that we see on weekly chart will come to pass and Ethereum will rally quite substantially. Now, as far as the rest of the TA, let's go down here to the hourly chart and just take a look at it. It is currently in a downtrend on the on the hourly chart, but this is actually a falling wedge and there's a bullish MACD cross potentially coming in in the next two hours and we're seeing RSI push to the upside. So there is an opportunity here that uh, Ethereum could push to the upside, break this downtrending level of resistance and then rally up to probably around $2,700. I wouldn't bet on it though and the reason is the longer term trend is down and I actually think that we're going to see some downwards movement happening in Bitcoin later on today and I think that's going to bring Ethereum to the downside as well. So Tim, I'd love your thoughts on this. What do you think Ethereum is looking like right now? Yeah. Do you think we're going to see a, a, a short-term rally here on the hourly chart? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I love the if then because it's it really is a uh, uh, there's a similar thing going on with Bitcoin and Ethereum when you look at the RSI divergence, when you look at the MACD, when you look at the Bollinger Bands, and then you go look at the volume. You know, if I zoom in really close and I just look at what's happened in the last, like, I don't know, 72 hours, you might say, oh, no, Tim, look, there's that one really large uh, wick or sorry, a candle. What do, what do we call it? Graph uh, on, on February 2nd at 1600. Look at the volume that came in there. And then you scroll out and you, you look at a long time frame. You're like, oh, no, there's nothing. Uh, and here's the thing. Volume is needed for the upside and volume is needed for the downside. Um, so there's a case right now based off of RSI divergence and Bollinger Bands that we actually potentially go back to the upside. I don't think we're setting necessarily a brand new high. Like I actually, it would be a very challenge, a big challenge for Ethereum to outdo 2,800 again. But I do think potentially rally to the upside before a fall down. And as I said, if we go to 1750 with Ethereum, I'm also expecting a $25,000 Bitcoin price. More realistically, my expectations for Ethereum is somewhere in the region of 2200 to down to 2000. I think anything lower than that, again, we're probably talking about similar to Bitcoin below 30 uh, being a bear market. I think that you might need to, make, need to make the same case for Ethereum as well. I just really feel like if Ethereum goes to $2,000, the magnetism of that $1,800 level is going to suck it towards it. And we'll it's just going to be hard for it to not go there. I've watched that happen so many times where a market will get really close to a previous level of support or resistance. doesn't quite get there, and everybody says, oh, the bottom's in, or oh, the top's in, and then it just gets pulled right up there. So we'll see what happens You're there. absolutely right. The only thing to keep in mind is the, the the field of manipulation that loves to get close to things to fake people out and never get to what they actually wanted. Yeah. No, absolutely. You're totally right. So guys, we're going to go ahead and jump into our altcoin snapshots, and we're going to talk about Solana. There was a hack having to do with a pro, with a project called Wormhole. And Kelly, uh, can you give us a little bit of information on that? A lot of people talking about that in chat. Yeah, uh, and I, I hate to correct you here. So, no, the project isn't called Wormhole. There was a wormhole basically uh, within the, basically is a security. Uh, so, there, yeah, it was a wormhole attack Bad. basically through, a, it was this a bridge, just, I believe. This just it was, came it was to my bridge. attention while we were live. <laughs> What's that? So this just came to my attention while we were live, so I wasn't prepared yeah, for that. My bad. No, no problem with that. Uh, yeah, sometimes for those of you that know, we we add and change things in the, in the show prep document uh, throughout the whole show. So sometimes we're literally reading something without even having uh, the ability to think through it. Like if I'm yep. throwing in and Jeb has to read it on, but essentially there's a wormhole attack that basically exposed uh, a security issue. I think it was a bridge between Solana and uh, and uh, uh, Wrapped Ethereum, and there's uh, I think around 325 million dollars worth of wrapped ethereum that was exploited uh and basically now gone uh and so that's that's also led for a little bit more of a you know a dip uh, right now and this 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 kind of unfortunately is a persisting it seems like a persisting issue uh 
with Solana over the last year, they've had a number of different, and I'm not calling Solana out specifically because all these projects are, I mean, this is all brand new technology that they're developing, already having hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users. And so some of these strategies and, and protections uh, and security measures that need to be taken are only found out once those exploits happen. So uh, I still believe in Solana in the long run, but unfortunately right now, it's, I think it's going to be driving it uh, maybe even maybe even down to the $60, $50 level. But uh, let's, go, let's just do a quick snapshot on what's going on with the TA and then we can uh, go on to the next coin. Absolutely. So Solana right now is pulling back from about $260 that it set not too long ago. Pulled back 180 bucks, down 69 percent over the course of 77 days to $80 is currently sitting at about $98 and during that time it has seen quite a lot of things happen as you can as you know now there was a hack on it but the longer term perspective on Solana is that there is this long term uptrending level of support that I've been looking at for a little while and thinking hmm it'd be very interesting to see if Solana were to come back down and test that and now with all this news with the fact that Bitcoin might be dropping you know $7,000 Ethereum might drop another 20% it is very much possible that Solana could pull back down here to about $60. So Kelly, can you explain to us where that um, that where that comes from? You talked about 50 to $60 on Solana. Is it that uptrend that you're seeing on my chart or is it something else? No, absolutely. It's a massive uptrend uh, also with the continued sort of Unfortunately, small uh, sell pressure that's uh, persistent on the crypto market as a whole right now, and uh, specifically on Bitcoin. And this actually relates uh, to the greater market at large. And it's a good thing to point out is that when we're when the market isn't very strong uh, and Bitcoin is having uh, sell pressure consistently over time, that's stealing confidence as a whole from the greater ecosystem. And so uh, that's why other coins, like my dad pointed out yesterday when he was looking at it, he's like, look at all these charts. They all look almost exactly or very similar to Bitcoin. Uh -huh. Well, that's because as Bitcoin is uh, facing sell pressure and not having the bullish confidence to make uptrends or to even start an uptrend, the market basically almost almost for the larger part directly follows the lead of Bitcoin until we start getting that uptrend. And then you start having non non correlated uh, and unrelated sort of uh, runs and like one, like for instance, uh, half the market in DeFi will be running and outpacing metaverse. And then that'll switch and the metaverse is running while DeFi is flat. Uh, but that only happens once we're really in an uptrend or after we get a blow off top and then the altcoin rallies into a, a supreme altcoin season. But that massive uptrend right now for Solana and having the down pressure and having this exploit exploit, uh, I can see it very likely to, you know, even go down to, like I said, like the 60, uh, 55 level, but that that's, that's if things consist, uh, persist, persist to the downside on the market, we could find support that, you know, in the 70, 70s area. Uh, but right now all you can do is place your, uh, place your trades very safely. And in, in all honesty, I would say if it were me, I'd stay out of the market for the time being, because everything's so choppy, especially with Solana having this, uh, this recent security issue. How many people, how big of an impact do stories like this wormhole uh, story have? How big of an impact does this have on Solana's brand? Because there's already a brand rep, there's already a reputation that Solana has that it's highly centralized, the way the coins were released, that it ha that it's a, that it's a weak chain that's been very highly marketed, uh, that it that it's able to be hacked. What what is the is there a major branding issue going on with Solana right now? Even if none of that is true, is there a major branding issue and uh, public perception issue that Solana is working through right now? 
Well, I will say to Solana's credit, they have an incredible, incredibly large uh, and very smart team around them and, and a lot of huge backers, including F, uh, FTX, uh, you know, and Sam Bankman-Fried. And uh, I mean, they have an incredibly strong development community around them. And in the in the past with this uh, issues that they've had with the DDoS attacks and stuff, they've had a very, very good attention to uh basically riding the ship quickly. So uh, they're they're finding these issues along the way because I think I think they're a proof of history, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're but this goes right back. And I I got everybody listening. We're not some absolute fanboys of of ADA, but they're such a good lens and in opposition to the large majority of all the other uh, blockchains out there. And, and, And Jeb has said it multiple times, but they have slowly walked through all their stuff on a peer review process, like scientific method, essentially. Uh, to help alleviate uh, or prevent these sorts of things happening. And they will happen even with a, uh, with Cardano, but with Solana, you know, they're basically forging ahead and they're pioneers uh, with this sort of blockchain that they're running. So they are going to have these issues, but the fact that they're able to address them quickly uh, and basically sort them out, I think actually goes to their benefit. Uh, but if they continue to persist, I think it will start to have an impact on especially smart money or bigger money mm. uh, being involved until those things uh, get, you know, basically consistently no downtime over over a longer period of time. Mm. Well, Samay, I want to bring you in here. What is your opinion of the brand that Solana has built? Is it a brand that is um, going to be able to regain the trust of the people in the cryptocurrency market? Now, I'm not saying that it's completely lost it, but there, there are some hits that its brand has taken as a result of a lot of this. And I think it's a good project, actually. I just do have my concerns. What are your concerns around this, potentially, Samay? Well, <clears throat> I have something with me here. I'm going to just pull it up. Uh... That was a bottle of FUD. You know why? Because <laughs> guys, I don't know if you guys remember this. We had a we had a show we had a show a while back. It was it was called All Coins Anonymous. Yes. Uh, you know, rest in peace, All Coins Anonymous. <laughs> but there was a show called All Coins Anonymous, and we had an episode about Solana. And it was when they got it was when they got hacked the first time. We talked about it, and I said there, and I'll say it again now. I don't like Solana. And and here's why, guys, because this how many times do you have to have this happen? It, it like how many times, especially if this is supposed to be a project that, you know, is gonna be involved in some kind of defined stuff in the future, you know. Like you, you it, the fact that it's over and over again getting attacked and in the fact that over and over again it's like you, you have questions about its reliability. You know, I don't care how fancy their development team and how cool they're saying their project is. It is not. It, I'm not with risk. I'm not willing to risk. You know what I mean? I'm not willing to risk putting my stuff on that platform. And next thing you know, it's getting hacked left and right. You know, so I mean, this is one of those things that unless they can actually really regain the trust of the people and say, "Hey guys, we're actually building a stronger blockchain that's not going to be at risk of all these attacks and stuff." You know what I mean? Like I, it's, I I'm just not interested in it. I'm, this is why I'm not putting my money anywhere near it. I, it's just my opinion. I, you know, there it is. You know, I'm sorry. There it is. Yeah, I personally don't hold any Solana, and the reason is because I don't necessarily trust the way that's being developed. But with that being said, I actually am planning on doing a lot more research on Solana, and if I find myself that I've been wrong, then I will come before you and repent and say, I was wrong. Solana's actually great. It's got a great project, and I will buy some. But I'm going to do some more research on it. Just wanted to go ahead and give you that disclaimer. But what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look at VeChain. VeChain is a cryptocurrency that does have pretty strong fundamentals, and it is a cryptocurrency that has been growing the right way. 
way for the last several years, not investing hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing, <coughs> crypto.com. It's not been investing all of its money in marketing. It's been investing all of its money into product. And that's one of the things I like about VeChain. That's one of the things I like about Cardano is that these projects are not all about hype. They're all about product. And one of the things I want to show you on the long term for, um, for VeChain here is this uptrending level of support. This uptrending level of support is kind of similar to the one that we've seen on Bitcoin. It is a long-term trending line, the trend line that helps us to understand whether it's above or below its intrinsic value. So, so, uh, so Ethereum... Speaking, Jeb, I can do it. We've been talking for an hour. B-Chain is currently sitting right above this uptrending level of support. It's had a major drop ever since it hit all-time high at 29 cents on April the 18th of last year. It's down 82% right now. The thing I want to keep you, uh, the thing I want you to keep in mind is that this project has very strong fundamentals and is continuing to grow, and there's a demand for it. Blockchain has the ability to revolutionize um, the uh, 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 supply chain logistics, which is what V-Chain works in, and if it's able to do that, that is going to be a huge deal because supply chain logistics has a lot of problems right now. They're very fragile systems that are very hard to get started. We're seeing that with with uh, we with you know microprocessors and chips and you know we saw that in 2020 with toilet paper. You know, it wasn't that there was a lack of toilet paper in the world. It's that the supply chain was not able to keep up. We're seeing the same thing happen with ports and different cargo, uh, different different uh, shipping containers getting lost and different item IDs and all of that. There's so many issues in supply chain right now. And any project that comes along with blockchain that helps to verify all of that is going to do very, very well. I think VeChain's a sleeper right now. And if it does have a break to the upside, it is going to see bullish MACD divergence right here play out in a big way. And by the way, just like on Bitcoin, it's three daily chart gives us a very good idea of when we're going into an uptrend based on MACD. Both of these uptrends were predicted by MACD. And if we do have a bullish MACD cross here in the next two to three weeks, then we will probably see an uptrend on VeChain. Personally, I think VeChain is in great buying territory. It could go a little bit lower. What we see happen with these long-term uptrends oftentimes is that you will drop below them for a little while. If we did, then we could potentially see VeChain come down to a level like this or down to a level like this, which would be either three or two cents. But guys, if VeChain comes down to 2.3 cents or 3.4 cents, great. It would 10x to go back to its all-time high, which it has proven that it can go to 30 cents. So I'm actually really excited for VeChain, and I'm thinking about scooping some up on these dips. And if I do, you tell me, and I will be more than happy to make a video explaining exactly why I have. Kelly, I want your take on VeChain. Do you think it's been doing a good job developing in the last three years? Is it is it a project that has survived 2018, 2019? where a lot of altcoins died. Is it still doing a good thing in the world? Is it still worth something? Well, I think, honestly, I think VeChain, in, in no way is it like Chainlink in terms of the project, but I think it's one of those kind of quiet, keep their head down, steady development, steady partnerships. Mm -hmm. they, have, they have global partnerships uh, with all the logistic uh, supply chain stuff that they do. Uh, my... And I think what they've done is great. They haven't had a lot of issues along the way either. Uh, the small ones they have had, they've dealt with uh, fairly fairly rapidly. The one thing I will say that is a, a point of thought uh, or consideration when looking at projects like that, and unfortunately, I don't know why we still have to do this sort of nonsense, but being that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it is a company that is based, uh, or I don't know if it's headquartered or, or founded uh, by a, a, basically a Chinese group, um, and the reason I don't have a problem with that, but the nature of thinking about where regulations may come in or come out. And now we're talking about the 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 new bills that are looking to be passed or the wording and new bills that are going to be passed in the U.S. government about certain uh, transactions uh, involving crypto can be stopped or terminated at their whim. If, if that goes through, then I think it's uh, especially when they're talking about national security, 
I would be, uh, I don't want to say hesitant because, uh, you know, I've held hmm. chain for a while, but it's something to consider looking forward, not only stable coins being regulated, but then uh, how coins are going to be regulated based on where they're either nationally uh, uh, founded or headquartered or where their teams are from, because uh, that could have an impact on uh, the, whether the regulation or the legality of how things uh, are allowed to, to be yeah. used or invested in. That's a really good point because, you know, we're seeing the same thing happen with 5G right now. There's been a lot of concern over the last two years about 5G and the and the, the Chinese company uh, Huawei helping to develop the current uh, 5G network that's been going online. 5G fully rolled out like a week ago, just so you know. There's a lot of 5G-enabled phones, but it really has just started getting going. And there's a lot of concern that, hey, this was developed in part by the Chinese. And America's terrified that the Chinese are going to use it to get data. And to be honest with you, that very well may happen. So that's a really good point, Kelly, one that I will look more into. And by the way, I realized something about why I am hesitant around cryptocurrencies that are very braggadocious, like a crypto.com. Uh, there's a lot of cryptocurrencies that spend a lot of time marketing and a lot less time on product. I have said for a very long time that if you have to brag about something, it's not worth bragging about. And one of the things I like about VeChain, one of the things I like about a project like Basic Attention Token, one of the things I like about a project like Cardano is that these are not projects that go out and brag about what they do. In fact, all of these projects have come out and said, hey, we probably need to do a better job marketing. You know why that is? Is because they're spending all their time on product. I would much rather somebody grind and grind and grind and grind and grind and then tell people about it five years later and say, hey, I grinded. Then we went and told the world what we did rather than saying, we're going to tell the world what we're going to do and then we're going to go and try and grind. I would much rather have a company or a cryptocurrency do the former. I would much rather them work their tail off and then go and say, yeah, by the way, this is what we did. It's not bragging to say, hey, this is what I did. It is bragging to say, hey, I'm going to go do all this and then not put the work in. So I'm not knocking any cryptocurrencies necessarily, but I I am saying the reason that I like cryptocurrencies like a VeChain, like a basic attention token, like a like a Bitcoin, like a Cardano is because they build value and then they worry about price. The price will come. The problem that a lot of cryptocurrencies have is that they put price upstream of fundamentals and that's not the way it works. Price does not lead to fundamentals. Just because you've got a hundred million, a hundred billion dollar market capitalization does not mean that your fundamentals are there. But a lot of cryptocurrencies get that wrong because it's so easy to launch an altcoin and get a backing by an FTX and buy a Sam Bankman Freed and say, hey, look, we're worth $80 billion now. Now that we have the money, let's go build a good product. Nope, you got to earn that. And that's why I like projects like VeChain, like Cardano, like Basic Attention Token, and like Bitcoin, because they weren't built off of the idea of profit. They were built off of the love of principles. There you go. Let's go ahead and do some community discussion. I think we got a couple super chats to read here, and then we're going to keep it moving. I don't I don't think we do. I was going to say, actually, I don't I, think I, don't I, think I saw any. I have seen one here for a little minute. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through chat to see uh, what we have. Someone, someone did just say, I thought this was cool. Adrian uh, Christia said, Crypto Jeb, thanks to the TA I've learned from your show. I've made two ETH today. Whoa, nice. That's super cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Good job. Uh, yeah, so cool. a lot of people, you know, talking about VeChain, you know, there's, I've seen both concerns, you know, people loving VeChain. Someone said to date, I don't know if this is fact, Kelly, I don't know if you know this is true or not. Someone said that VeChain is yet to have any uh, American customer yet, any American, uh, client or anything. Um, so they're, they're saying like, they don't like VeChain. Do you know if that's true, Kelly? Uh, no, but I'm looking it up right now. Yeah. VeChain is definitely a very diverse, a very, a very diverse uh, coin because there's so many people who hate it due mm -hmm. to its its ties with China and it's, it's mm -hmm. being made in China. And then obviously there's people who love it because, yeah. as, as Jeb said, when you look at the charts, if you want to make money, there are money making opportunities on VeChain. Yep. But uh -huh. uh, yeah, it's for everyone to decide. Uh, you know, people saying thanks for covering VeChain. Got a super chat. We did. We had one just pop up. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. All right. Jonathan Dominguez said, is Terra Luna a good project? I think it's a phenomenal project. And the reason is, it's the leader in algorithmic stablecoins. What an algorithmic stablecoin is, is, uh, well, I got to back up and explain how a stablecoin works. So if you want to keep the price of a stablecoin at a certain level, then there's only two things you can manipulate. You can manipulate the supply or the demand because price is driven by supply and demand. So if the demand for a stablecoin like Tether goes up and, you know, $50 billion worth of money flows into the Tether ecosystem, then the price would go up. But you don't want the price to go up because you want it to stay at a dollar. So what happens is that a centralized entity like the like the people behind Tether come in and they say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna change the supply when the demand's going up to keep the price at a dollar. That is a very centralized method. And the issue with that is that the whole purpose of cryptocurrency is to decentralize everything from law to finance to society at large. You want things to be decentralized. Terra Luna is the first major successful project to implement something called algorithmic stablecoins. This is a way of decentralizing that process of supply manipulation to keep a stable coin at one dollar or one euro or whatever the different currency is. And it does actually have support for project for uh, for crypto for fiat currencies other than the U.S. dollar. Also, I think UST is the name of their uh, U.S. Uh, token. I forget the name of it, but they have a stable coin based on the United States dollar and a few others. So I think it's a great project. And I think it is one that will be very, very successful. And I think it's also another very interesting example of how blockchain is being used to power our daily lives. We also of Jeremiah 007 said, hey, good morning, guys. There's a new platform called Cosmos That that uh, you should check out. I might check that out. Not sure I'm going to. We'll Sounds see. a little bit like a shell, but we will uh, potentially look at that. Yeah. Kelly, I want to throw it to you really quickly. What do you think the shift has been in the last four or five years having to do with the correlation between traditional markets and between Bitcoin? Have we seen Bitcoin become more decoupled from traditional markets or less decoupled from traditional markets ever since you got into the space? Well, let me share something with you. Everybody's asking with the markets going up and down, the traditional markets specifically and crypto looking like it's following it immediately. They're, are, they're asking and they're arguing, I thought Bitcoin, I thought crypto was supposed to be a hedge against traditional markets. Well, it might look like we are following it directly, but I will argue very briefly here and show you some data that actually shows, do we do we follow the direction time and you know here and there? Yes, we do. However, look at this chart. So this chart right here shows this is uh, the the purple line is a Bitcoin price. The yellow line is essentially uh, the world stock ETF. So basically, it's basically tracking an index of most of the world stocks. So we we have diverged a number of different times. And in this case right here, you see price was going up. But look at the difference in price action on, on Bitcoin. Uh, now, did it fall when the markets fell? It actually uh, did fall at the same point here. It fell at the same point. But the recovery and the difference in how the price action plays out uh, in comparison to traditional stock market markets is quite different. A case in point right here, if you can look here, this is uh, basically eight, May of 2020. Uh, from that point, uh, we basically have come up 341%, 342%, even following our drop, we're still up over 300, almost 300, near 350%. Now in the same time period, if you look at Amazon, uh, it's only up 20%. And uh, PayPal is basically at the exact same price it was in May of 2020 with this massive drawdown. So are we having massive corrections in direct correlation with the traditional markets? Yes, we are. But the difference in the growth and recovery periods between crypto and, you know, in comparison to traditional stock market shows that the correlation is actually somewhat irrelevant other than signal signaling when we are going to have a price direction shift 
that may be something that's correlated, but the, uh, the the level of hedge and the level of growth that you'll experience in crypto shows that the uh, the correlation is a bit un it's is a bit unrelated. It uh, basically nonsensical. It doesn't mm-hmm. quite matter because. Bitcoin and crypto is a future. So get on your investments. Get on your investments. That's a great way to close the stream out, guys. Thank you so very much for watching. We got a couple thousand people in chat. Thank you so very much for the 1,000 likes. Let's see if we can't get to 1250 by the end of the stream. Guys, I'm going to open the floor. Any final questions from you, Tim, or from you, Smay? What we you do got? Need, we need to update people. We do the, need to update people trophy. on the HODL trophy. Uh, you know, it's going to be another close race tomorrow. The, the, we told you guys on Tuesday, this we're changing the format. The winner is no longer who was right at 930. The answer is actually 1045. What will it look like? And right now, it is looking like a hot... A hot battle again between Smay and myself. Uh, my on. prediction at 39.3, his prediction at 35,000. That middle point is 37.150. So as of this moment, Smay is in the lead. If we can mount a small rally, though, by 10.45 and get back over 37.150, it will be another Tim win. If we can get above 39, uh, let's see, it's about 39.6, Jeb will take the lead, and we're going to need about 41 for Kelly to take mm. the lead. Uh, Kelly, I don't think we're going to get it. I, hey, man. Sorry, hey, Kelly. Man, I'm, I'm watering my money tree. Yeah, okay? just, you we're make that make money. Happen, you water you know? that money tree, man. I want it to rally. But I also want the HODL trophy, so don't water it too yeah, much. Yeah, I, I think it's another tight Smay and Tim race. I was um, just I was um, just hoping get it, hoping? I was hoping. hoping. I was hoping getting a, uh, you know, a car to, uh, price in there. Thirty nine nine ninety nine ninety nine would get me uh, in there because yeah. Uh, I I actually Jeb, I gotta disagree with you. I hope okay. I hope it stays really turtly here soon, okay. really so, turtly. I can, so I can get turtly. my tax return and put more into Bitcoin. Fair enough. That's hey, what man. a lot of people are going to be doing. That's right, baby. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, guys, if you enjoyed today's stream, smash that like button. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media at Crypto Jeb. I'm over on Twitter. I'm over on Instagram, posting daily to all of those platforms, and also on TikTok at Crypto Jeb Official. And also make sure to stay tuned to the YouTube channel because I'm doing a lot of shorts and a lot of stories and stuff on the YouTube channel, doing some car videos, different kind of videos to just bring you some quick topical updates on what the market is doing. We're doubling down in this time, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of YouTubers in the crypto space, they're going to say, okay, Bitcoin's boring. I'm going to go on a three-month-long vacation. We're doubling down, guys. We're bringing you more content. If we do go into a bear market, we're going to be here every single day, even more than we ever have been. We're going nowhere but up, and I want you to be a part of that journey because we want you to achieve financial sovereignty. The way you do that is by investing in your education. So make sure you subscribe to the channel. I'm really quickly going to read both of these super yeah. chats that just came in. Matt C said, what do you think happens first, 32K or 42K? I'm on the former. I think 32K 32. is going to happen. 32. That's my opinion. Yeah. Cryptosaurus Rex, which by the way, this was funny. Somebody said on the in the comments of our Cryptos R Us uh, uh, video, the interview I did with him, that uh, he thought it was a it was a dinosaur name and he had to do a double take. I thought that was pretty funny. He said, uh, good morning, thoughts on the graph. Uh, keep hearing it referred to as Google of Web 3.0, but seems it'll be drawing more attention if we'll so. We will see on that one. Don't have too much time to go into that today, but I really appreciate your input on that and we will, uh, we will try and look into that. But guys, have a great day. Have a blessed day. Before I go, I do just first want to thank each and every single last one of you for watching, as always, and checking out Lorenzo. And I will see you guys in the next video. Peace. Oh, I got a real good feeling. Got a real good feeling. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast. Tune in every day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch live on YouTube. Follow us on our social media accounts at CryptoJeb. And lastly, we want to thank you for supporting us here at MacV Media.